out of town today, but they were replaced by wonderful guests. And I just want to slip down, I want to kind of interview a few folks. And the first couple, I performed their wedding, and that was 11 years ago, and baptized their children. They were all the way from Burnsville, and they're, they're moving back to Minnetonka, I guess. I'm going to see if this works. My name is Sean Larkin. Uh, my wife is Alicia. We got married here in August of 2011. Uh, we have two kids, Evelyn, who is seven and a half, and Nolan, who is five and a half. Uh, we recently, we were living in Burnsville, and then last year, uh, a year ago, last week, we moved to Minnetonka. So we live over in the Minnetonka Hopkins area. Uh, I am a, I work private security. I'm also a reserve deputy sheriff for Scott County. I also work part-time for the Minnesota Twins for security. So next week I'll be starting baseball season. Uh, Alicia works at a bank in Edina. And the kids go to the Hopkins School District. Let's, let's have Elise and the kids stand up. Would you please stand? Okay. Thank you, thank you. And Dr. Joel, you introduce yourself. And well, my name is Joel Thompson, and I've uh, been living in the area for 15, 16 years now. Over on, on the Victor Memorial Drive, which is part of the parish. Of the worship service on by way of television 
And I'm so glad that we started this service, and we're filming now, and we'll get it on television. It's channel 20 in the Brooklyn Park area. Anybody else want to stand in and introduce themselves? Anybody have any announcements before we uh, begin the service today? And I'm hoping that Warren will come back and preach that sermon. <laughs> One of these. You do. How about next Sunday? Not that I could be around that long. I mean, you probably outlive me. But, um, are you available next Sunday? Are you? You let me know the first Sunday that you want, and I'll step out of the pulpit. And I want you to share, you know, because I, I believe you gave us the abbreviated version of your article. Be televised for 20, uh, at least 20 minutes, okay? Now, you're not going to lie to me. Say amen. 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 There's a man after my own heart. Thank you, Jesus. Have the benediction now and go home blessed. Can we? Amen. Amen. Let's just spend a few moments in, in prayer before we turn to our opening hymn. Father, we just want to thank you for this Easter morning. We pray that this would be unlike any other Easter morning. That you would touch our hearts, renew us, give us a, a vision of the future. Help us not to rely upon the past successes or the current successes, but help us to look forward to the future. I thank you for a testimony of Warren. It just touched my heart in so many ways. I, I just feel it took a lot of the wind out of my sails. But Father, we just pray that you would empower each of us to gather from the hymns that are being sung, Christ the Lord is risen, and he's risen indeed. Father, we just pray that you bless our prayers and our scripture. Bless the many pastors that are touching the hearts and the lives of many Christians today. Those by way of television and radio, all means of communication, Facebook and that. We just thank you, Father, for the privilege to air, go to the airwaves, radio and television. We thank you, Father, for the hearts and lives that have been touched. We pray for those who may be hospitalized, those who may be in nursing homes, those who may be in prison, we also have heard from their testimonies and the words of encouragement that we bring. We pray for many to be touched during our service today, Father, as we prepare to stand and as we prepare to sing the first four verses of Christ the Lord is Risen in our purple hymnals. Bless the words that we, we sing, touch our hearts, minds, bodies, souls, and spirits. May what we surely proclaim, may we surely be performed in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us stand now as we turn to our opening hymn, verses 1 through 4, 1 through 4, of Christ the Lord is risen today. Purple hymnals number 302. And you want to really sing out because Warren wants to come back to the Methodist Church. you got to sing those old roots of John and Charles Wesley. Amen. Christ the Lord is risen today, verses 1 through 4, purple hymnals number 302.
sit down and tell people Christ is risen, risen indeed. I understand, Warren, that you're unable to see, right? You, you do. Okay, because I noticed your lips were really moving. That last hymn. I thought you maybe you can sing. Praise the Lord. I'd just love to interview you on and see what you accredited your longevity to. And now, I understood that. My hearing. 98, right? That's years. Do you have some military background too?
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. If you're viewing us by way of television, or listening to us by way of YouTube, or Facebook, or radio, our scripture lesson is taken from Dr. Root's Gospel, Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. Now, I like all of the passages of scripture that deal with the resurrection of Christ. You can also find this in Luke chapter, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 28, 1 through 10, Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. But I've chosen this passage of scripture because it really touches my heart, and I, I'm sure it'll touch your heart. And next week, I'm going to be dealing with the walk of Emmaus. And as we view this scripture, let's ask God's blessings that we not only be hearers of the word, but doers of the word also. But on the first day of the week, and that was Sunday, at early dawn, they came to the tomb. And taking the spices that they had prepared, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, suddenly two individuals in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Jesus is not here. Jesus is risen. You remember how Jesus told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven, to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter, Peter got up and ran to the tomb, trooping and looking in. Peter saw the linen clothes by themselves. Then Peter went home and say this word with me, amazed, amazed at what had happened. Amen. Glory to God. And at this time, I'm going to call on Mike, who's had like, I think, three deaths in his life. I'd like to have maybe a testimony if you want a corner him after the service, because he has a, some hot topics he wants to share with Mike and I went to Desert Storm, Desert Shield, and, yep. and he was um, in the water and I was in the air. Bring your word, Mike. Good morning, happy Easter. Good morning, Mike. Or I like, I kind of change it. Happy Lord's second birthday. <laughs> I think the most important. All the Gospels say that the discovery of the empty tomb happened on the first day of the week after Sabbath. That's why they go the day before, because it was Sabbath day. When they got to the tomb, I, I wondered, who, who went? Who went to the tomb? It was the ladies. One of those was both the Marys, and one of them was Chusa. Chusa was the wife of John, or uh, Herod Antipas Stewart. Actually, the wife of the guy that sent Jesus to death was one that found the empty tomb. Upon arriving at the tomb, they noticed the Lord's lifeless body and placed him in the tomb. That's where they thought they would see 
but upon arrival of the tomb, they noticed the entrance stone, the covering stone was rolled back, and the tomb was bodyless. But the covering stone that they had covered the, the corpse of Jesus with was laying there in perfect order, just like they had said it. Now I thought about this. What is empty tomb? So, here's the deal. Though the stone that covered the, the entrance of the tomb weighed hundreds of pounds and sat on an incline, it took several men to roll the stone back up. But more importantly, even so, it had the Roman seal on it, placed on it. Anybody who broke the Roman seal to get into a tomb or anything else with the Roman seal on it was punishable by death. So all this stuff was accomplished that to keep you from getting in the tomb. But that's not what happened. Nothing that wasn't even anticipated by the people that put him there wouldn't prevent him from coming out of the tomb. Verse 5 mentioned the women being frightened and falling to the ground because two angels appeared. They were already dealing with mourning and thinking they were going to discover the body of the person they put in, in the tomb. <laughs> but the sight of angels often calls, causes fear for the people that see them. The angel said that Jesus had risen and he also gently rebuked them for looking for the dead amongst the living. He reminded them of the Lord's last words in Galilee when Jesus told them he would be delivered to the hands of sinners executed on the third day rise again. Now they understood why his body wasn't there. Mary Magdalene left the tomb and ran to the disciples. She left the other room with other women there. She told the disciples, hey, we went to the tomb and his body wasn't there. The disciples had an issue believing that. They, they really thought, no, he was dead, we saw him crucified, we all saw him placed in the tomb. That is not possible. But Peter and John bothered them. What did they do? They got up and they ran to the tomb. Both Peter and John, I know this portion of our scripture, don't mention John whatever he was. It's mentioned later in chapter 24 in other books. They looked inside the tomb when they got to it. And the Lord corpse was gone. And once again, the, the grave linens were in there. But the body wasn't. But they weren't folded and ripped away as if somebody, had, a tomb robber had come in and took the body. No, they were laying right where they had put them and they placed the Lord in them. John's reaction isn't mentioned in our book of Luke here. But Peter ran home puzzled and amazed at what they saw. He wondered, how could this happen? He was dead. We saw him put in the tomb and now his body isn't there. It didn't make any sense to Peter. That was all in spite of Jesus telling all 12 of the disciples how and what would happen. Peter later understood what he witnessed when Jesus visited them on the road to Emmaus. This amplifies the occasional mystery of our own considering biblical words and what they mean to us. Just like Peter didn't comprehend Jesus' words when they were spoken to him from Jesus himself, he understood them after witnessing their meaning, the empty tomb. Once again, happy Lord's second birthday. Have a blessed day. Amen. Thank you, Mike. If at any time you have a kind of late sermon that you'd like to share, let me know. We'll make sure that it gets in the bulletin. And I met over at Target, and I, I just thank God for the way he words here. And I, I said immediately, I said, you must be military, prior military. Mike, that is getting a long way here.
why don't you make your way to the mall, my Marie? And as Marie comes front and center, George, could I also have you kind of a backup to share where you're at in this whole con cancer? And we'll get you on board after Marie, and you can probably want Marie back too. Marie, I understand, is in her 80s too, but she's not giving up. This kind of retained her uh, with the scriptures because I I had a brother that died at 45. Uh, he had a massive heart attack and he was diabetic. Well, anyway, I was going over to Hillside Cemetery and looking for his grave. And I looked and I looked. I looked for half an hour for his grave and I couldn't find it. And I said, Jerry, I can't find you anywhere. And as I got in the car, I turned on the ignition and it said, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? And it was KTIS radio, and that was my answer. I said, okay, I know where you're at. <laughs> I appreciate you being my church family, one of my church families anyway. And I appreciate your prayers. This week on Tuesday, I made a mail for a pre-op interview and another COVID test and stuff like that. I had both of my shots, so I'm going to go that way. Um, and there's other, I got to meet with my anesthesiologist and maybe something else. Then on Thursday, they're going to do some exploratory work inside my bladder to see how extensive the cancer is, to see what they have to do. They just take off the top of my bladder and sew me back up, or take it all out. We'll find out what the results are until the 13th when we meet with our surgeon. Now, of course, I know that God can heal me. I think I shared that with you last time I was with you. Um, it's like Jesus said that the night before he was crucified. <coughs> Father, for you all things are possible. I wish I didn't have to. Please, please uh, relieve me from not having to go through this suffering. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So I don't know just how all that has planned, but I know his plans for me are for good and not for evil. And then he has the ability to bring something good out of whatever happens. So I'm not biting my nails, and I know God's not biting his nails. And I appreciate your prayers. So that's what I have to do this week. Then on the 13th, we'll get the response. And if I do have to have an operation, that'll be on the 19th of this month. So you may not see me for a while. If I have to do the operation, I don't know what kind of shape I'll be in afterwards. But God knows. It'll be all good. Um, George, would you stay in the pulpit? Let's all stand and kind of extend our right hand and have a word of prayer. Father, as we stand, we stand in the promises. We thank you for Reverend George Groves, who uh, faithfully ministered as a United Methodist minister for so many years in Wisconsin, and I believe that's part of the Union of the United States. And Father, we just want to thank you for his ministry and, and his retirement now. We pray, Father, that you would bless the hands and the surgeons and the specialists, Lord, just anoint them. We expect to hear a, a, a great after-action report. In Jesus' name, we pray these blessings. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Reverend. Go ahead. Go back. Go back. Oh. <laughs> um, did Mike bring back that Packer cushion that I gave you? It, it's supposed to be 
some support. Oh, way to back up those Wisconsin newsies to cut from one Amen. You know, I um, I restarted a kind of a tradition, started early in my ministry to kind of place the four points that I'm going to be touching on in the back of the bulletin. I normally would do like four points and then four points under each point. So, um, but I went and just, we just only had the room for uh, the four major points, and they're on the back of your bulletin. Um, I'll be um, taking off. I, I wanted to mention the warrant, warrant that I've flown in just about every plane that the Air Force provided myself as a retired Colonel Air Force, and, and one of my big excitements was the F-4. And my son-in-law is an F-16 fighter pilot. He's trying to get me a um, uh, backseater. But he's looking for somebody that could train for the 747, so I'm, I'm going to give him your name. Amen. You know, the resurrection, the resurrection of Christ is one of the great foundations of Christian religion, folks. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. amen. In, in, in practical importance, I believe it is only second. Only second to crucifixion. You know, the world kind of places a heavy emphasis on, on the C moments and the E moments, that Christmas and the Easter moments. And they forget about that Good Friday crucifixion. We call it Good Friday because his body was broken, his blood was shed for the forgiveness of my sin and the forgiveness of your sin. But in practical importance, I believe the resurrection is second only to the crucifixion. The chapter we have now begun directs our minds to the evidence of the resurrection. Tremendous, tremendous evidence. And it contains this unanswerable proof that Jesus not only died, but he, he rose again. He rose again. Now some of you, by way of television or, or radio or Facebook, you're probably celebrating this Easter, you know, with candy and Easter bunnies. And that's, that's not a problem with me. But I... I hope that you celebrate the true significance. That you can honestly come to that point in your life, not just hope so or think so or feel so, but you can actually say, Christ is living in me, which is the hope of glory. That there's that point in your life where you said, I am a sinner. I ask for forgiveness of my sins, things that I've done and left undone, and I'm living for Jesus. We see in these verses before us the reality, the reality of Christ's resurrection. Now that first point we read that upon the first day of the week, certain women came to the tomb in which the body of Jesus had been laid in order to anoint him. But when they came to the place, they found the stone rolled away. And it wasn't that Jesus had to get out. It was just to allow people to come in. And they entered in, and they found not the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the simple fact is the starting point in the history, the history of the resurrection of Jesus. On Friday morning, his body was safe in the tomb. And on Sunday morning, his body was where? It was gone. It was gone. And by whose hands had it been taken away? Whose hands had it been taken away? Or who had removed it? Not surely the priests, not surely the scribes, not surely the other enemies of Christ. If they had had Christ's body to show in this, this proof of his resurrection, they would gladly have shown it. It wasn't the apostles, not the apostles and other disciples of the Lord. They were so 
far too much frightened and dispirited to attempt such an action. And the more so were they, they had nothing to gain, nothing to gain by it. One explanation, and the only one, can mean that he rose from the dead. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Christ had risen from the grave. To seek Jesus at the tomb was seeking the living, seeking the living among the dead. And I so appreciate that, heard that testimony from Marie a number of times, and I just look forward to it. I do a lot of funerals at Fort Snelling, a retired funeral chaplain, and people will always ask, out of all of those grave markers, how can I find my loved one? And there is a kind of computer, and it kind of shows you directions and that. But why do we see the living among the dead? Jesus had risen again and, and was soon seen alive and, and conversing the body by many credible witnesses. Not only the apostles, but 500 people in one setting. You don't have 500 people hallucinating all at the same time. And the fact of our Lord's resurrection rests on evidence that no infidel, non-believer, can, can ever explain away. It's continued by the testimony of every kind, every sort, and every description. The plain, unvarnished story which the gospel writers tell about it is one of the that cannot be overthrown and overturned. The more the account they give is examined, the more inexplicable will the event appear, unless we accept it as true. As true. If we choose to deny the truth of this account, we may deny everything in the world. It's not so certain that Julius Caesar once lived, or George Washington, or Abraham Lincoln, as it is that Christ rose again. Let us cling firmly to the resurrection of Christ as one of the pillars, the pillars of the gospel. It ought to produce in our minds a settled conviction of the um, truth of Christianity. I remember one time listening to Patrick Boone preach, and he said, um, as long as you're in Christ, you never say goodbye. You just say, see you later. And that's the truth, folks. If you're in Jesus Christ, those by way of television or radio or Facebook or other means of communication, you never really say goodbye to a Christian loved one. You just say, see you later. Our faith does not depend merely on a set of texts and in doctrines, it's founded on a mighty fact which the skeptic has never been able to overturn. Many skeptics have tried to overturn and deny the resurrection, but what eventually happens is they become believers themselves. And it ought to assure us of the certainty of the resurrection of our own body, our own bodies after death. If you're in Christ, a believer in Christ, we may say at the end of the service, we'll see you next week, or we'll see you here or there and there. This last few months we lost some real powerful persons that shared their faith and Lee Gross led our worship. Boone would preach scripture and, and you know just terrible losses that you don't ever replay. It ought to produce in our minds a settled conviction conviction of the truth of Christianity. Our faith does not depend on merely this act of texts and doctrines that's founded on this mighty fact. 
which the skeptic has never been able to overturn. It ought to assure us of the certainty of the resurrection of our own bodies after death. If our master Jesus Christ has risen from the grave, we need not doubt that his disciples, his followers, the ewes and the eyes shall rise again in that last day. And above all, it ought to fill our hearts with this joyful, joyful sense of the, the fullness of the gospel salvation, that we are saved by faith in Christ, not a worse than sin. But if you're going to boast, boast in what Jesus did on Calvary. It's a joyful sense of the fullness of the gospel of salvation. And who is Jesus? Who is Jesus that he should condemn us? Our great surety has not only died for us, but he has risen again, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus has gone to prison for us, gone to death for us, paid the penalty, and come forth triumphantly after the atoning, the atoning for our sin. The payment Jesus made for us has been accepted. We just need to accept it ourselves. Accept it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to this lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, from the dead, according to First Peter chapter one verse three, and we see secondly, we see secondly not only the surety of the resurrection of Jesus, but the resurrection that you and I can experience. We see secondly in the verse before us how how dull, how dull the memory of the disciples was about some of our Lord's saying. We are told that the angels, the angels that appeared to the women reminded them of their master's words in Galilee foretelling his own crucifixion and his own resurrection. And then we read, they remembered his words. They remembered his words. They, they had heard them, but made no use of them. Now, often, many days, they call them to their memory, call them to their mind. This dullness of memory is a common spiritual disease among believers. We've had many members of our congregation that have been blessed with longevity. I think of our beloved Loretta Dorning. You know, I remember Loretta bright, sharp, and from dementia. But even in those moments when I would say um, hello from all of it, and she'd say, who are you? And I'd say, Randy Tabor, and she'd say, oh yeah, yeah. And sometimes our memories fail us. But this dullness of memory is a common spiritual disease among many believers. It prevails as widely now as it did in the days of the first disciples. It's one among many proofs of our fallen and our corrupt condition. Even after people, I tell you people, godly, godly ministers, godly Sunday school teachers, godly church occupiers, pew occupiers, even after they have been renewed by the Holy Ghost, their readiness to forget the promises and the precepts of the gospel is continually bringing them in trouble. They, they hear many things which they ought to store up in their hearts, but, but seem to forget as fast as they hear. Now, if you're like me, you kind of have forgotten so much that you once learned and out of the hundred try to read it, the Bible every year. But I find that the Bible is like a pregnant book. It's constantly giving birth to new ideas. And I find in my margins and the many Bibles I've gone through and written in, and there's new thoughts, new births of vision and excitement. And I just feel there was a time in my ministry, some almost 48 years ago, when I began to preach, I thought, you know, how am I ever going to last 30 years? But even today, I feel like I've just started. 
They hear many things which they ought to have stored up in their hearts, but they seem to forget as fast as they hear. And then perhaps after many days, affliction brings them up before their recollection. And at once it flashes across their minds that they heard long ago. Many of us are not probably as blessed as Warren, but can you remember those Sunday school lessons, the first time he gave his testimony? They find that they had heard, but maybe sometimes have we heard in vain. The, the, the cure for a, a dull memory is worship, is worship. Sometimes people will say, you know, they've kind of forgotten what I said from the previous week. And, and I kind of respond, you know, I can't remember the previous meal that I had. And my wife is a good cook. The true cure for memory is religion and practice and worship and practicing Christianity is to get deeper love, deeper love for Christ and, and affections, affections more thoroughly sit on things above. Now, if I were to ask you the first conversation that you ever had with your mate of many years, you might remember it because it was pretty significant. Or maybe the first time you said, well, will you marry me for better or worse or richer or poorer and sickness and health? We do not readily forget the things that we love and, and the objects which we keep continually under under our eyes. The names of our parents and the names of our children are, are always remembered. The face of the husband or the wife we love is graven on the tablets of our hearts. The more our affections are engaged in Christ's service, the more easy shall we find it to remember Christ's word. The words of the apostle, the words of the apostle ought to be carefully pondered when we think in, in Hebrews chapter 2, 1. We ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, but at any time we should not let them slip. And then lastly today, not only is it the resurrection of Christ a reality and remembrance and power, we, we see lastly how slow, how slow of belief the first disciples, like you and I, many of us believe in the second coming of Christ that we're living in the day of the age of his return. How slow a belief the first disciples were on this, the subject of Christ's resurrection. We read that when the women returned from the tomb and they told the things they had heard from the angels to the eleven apostles, their words, their words seemed to them like idle tales, like idle tales. And they, they believed them not. In spite of the plainest declarations from the Master's lips, from Jesus' lips, that he would rise again the third day, in spite of the, all the distinct testimony of five or six credible witnesses that the tomb was empty and that angels had told them that he was risen, in spite of all the manifest impossibilities of accounting for the empty tomb on any other supp supposition that that of this miraculous, miraculous resurrection in spite of all this, these 11 faithless ones would not believe. You know, perhaps, perhaps you like I, or like I like you, perhaps we marvel, we marvel at their unbelief. And no doubt it seems at first sight most, most senseless, it's most senseless, most unreasonable, most provoking and unaccountable. But shall we not do well? Shall we not do well to look at, the, at, at, at home, our neighbors, our friends, our relatives? Do we not see around us that the Christian churches, the Christian churches, a, a mass of unbelief for more 
unreasonable and far more blamable than that of the apostles? Do we not see, after all these events of, of centuries, additional proof that Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed from the dead, a general want of faith which is truly deplorable? Do we not see myriads of professing Christians who seem not to believe that Christ died and Christ rose again and is coming to judge the world? These are very painful questions. Strong faith is indeed a very, very rare, rare thing. And Jesus even said, in the last days shall I find faith among my believers. No wonder that our Lord said in Luke 18, 8, when the Son of Man cometh again, shall he find faith on the earth? And finally, let us admire the, the wisdom of God. This wisdom of God, which can bring great good, great good out of seemingly evil. The unbelief of the apostles is one of the strongest indirect evidences that Jesus rose from the dead. If the disciples were at first so backward to believe our Lord's resurrection and were at last so thoroughly persuaded of the truth that they preached it everywhere, even to their death. In Sunday school, we were asked the question, do you die for the truth or do you die for a lie? lie. Christ must have risen indeed. The first preachers were people who were convinced, convinced in spite of themselves and in spite of the determined, obstinate unwillingness to believe. If the apostles at last believed, the resurrection must be true. Father God, as we pray for those listening to many services, help them not to only listen, but help them to contemplate and reflect and regurgitate and just accept these promises. Help them to sincerely ask the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit into their lives. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, and those by way of television and radio, you can pull yourself away and just repeat these words. Would you repeat these words with me? Dear Jesus, I thank you for forgiving my sins. I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. Forgive my sins that I have committed an old man. Come into my heart and life. Be my Savior and Lord. And fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. And we thank you for your faithful support, your prayer support by way of television, and those who send in their gifts. Again, thank you for your prayer and your financial support. And let us turn to our offertory prayer listed in our bulletins. Would you join me in this prayer together? Mighty God of resurrection power, we so desperately need the Alleluia morning. We have lived with death for so long. We've been trapped in our tombs so long. We could not be more anxious to hear the report from Mary. I have seen the Lord. We know in our hearts that you have been with us through all the past year has handed us, and we've seen you in the generosity of heart that has brought us through these days. As we give back to you this day, may we do so as those convinced that light will always wash away darkness, and life will always defeat death. In the name of our risen Savior, we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me as we turn in our purple hymnals to hymn number 327, crown him with many crowns. Now, if, if you're if you're here and you've sung in a choir or so, I encourage you to come um, to the mic. Um, Myra's husband, you sing. You're good bass, aren't you? You want to lead us from that pulpit there?
Are you familiar with that hymn? And you're not a basketball guy, are you? There's thousands and millions of people out there. Just forget about them. You're just pleasing to the Lord. Who would like to come and support it? Pastor George? Anybody else want to come up and? Can you do it? Hallelujah. You're sending it forward. Probably hundreds of thousands of times. Anybody else?
enjoyed that hymn. I mean, that just, we should sing it again. <laughs> um, Pastor George, would you like to come and dismiss us in prayer? Let's give these three um, awesome soloists a round of applause. Hallelujah. Amen. Do you remember Reverend George Groves in your thoughts and prayers? We have any announcements that we need to make. I wish we had a fellowship hour that we could kind of sit down and converse one with another, but we're going to try to eliminate this virus first. Reverend George. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto the Lord. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Reverend George. If you've seen your name in the um, bulletin or would like to have an Easter lily, it's uh, first come, first serve there. So, um, happy Easter. Thank you. And the Lord is risen. Hallelujah. God bless. Amen.